Good evening, Summit Church. Can you hear me? Sweet. PM. I'm with my people tonight. It's like, yes. Cool. Man, I'm stoked to be here. Uh, as uh, Andy said, I am not a pastor. I just want to reiterate that. Like, definitely not a pastor. It's a running joke in my, with my friends that, like, I uh, dropped out of Bible college, and it happened to be that the Bible college I dropped out from was actually not accredited. So here's to great decisions um, and, and, and doing things right. Um, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, so me and my wife, you saw her, she, uh, we, we lead the uh, Via Park City Group on Thursday nights, and um, it's just been a blast for us. We've been super stoked, and um, man, I'm really excited to just dive in uh, the word with you tonight. And I've been praying for you this week um, and just praying that, you know, this text is pretty, pretty gnarly, and, and just praying that, like, as you're here even now, as you're sitting here even now, that, like, you would feel just the Spirit of God encourage you in your lack. Um, you know, that's, like, what I've been praying for you, that you would receive the Word of God, what He has to say today, um, and that you would just really feel um, encouraged by that. So why don't we just, like, hop in? Um, yeah, so uh, it's spring. Um, weather has been super great lately. Um, I love that. I work in a basement, so I don't really see the light of day. So it's been really, really awesome um, to, to be like, oh, the sun's out. And so um, it's really encouraged me to like start spring cleaning. Now, if you, if you know me, I'm not like the, the most organized human being. Um, things are typically like a mess around me. And so it's like a, it's a huge step in the right direction. When I'm like starting to clean stuff. Like you can ask my wife. She's like, he never picks up anything. I'm like still working on that. Um, and so what I found is as I'm like cleaning my room, I'm like, man, like I'm hoarding a bunch of stuff. Like, am I a hoarder? Like, you know, and so like I like look up WebMD stuff. I'm like, am I a hoarder? Like, and next thing you know, like that just leads you down like this YouTube dark hole, right? Like this dark place where now all of a sudden you, you type in hoarders and you're about to see a lot of things that you probably don't want to see. And it's like really cringy and it's really bad. And I'm like now watching hoarders, right? I'm like, oh man, this is horrible. And, and so like, um, safe to say, I don't think I'm a hoarder. Maybe like hoarder light, we'll see. Um, I found out that apparently hoarding affects like 1.4 million people in the United States. 1.4 million, that's a lot of people. And apparently like, it's not that these people are like off their rocker or losing their mind. It, it's oftentimes just stems from this fear of throwing away something that you might need. Right, so these people are like imprisoned. They're like, I want like a better house. I want a better like living environment. And here I like can't throw this stuff away, right? And so like I'm watching this episode and it's just like magazines and magazines and just gnarly stuff. And what's like really crazy is like you're looking at the magazines and like all of a sudden like there's a home decor magazine. And you're like, what? It's like... It's like beautiful houses, right? And like you're looking at post-it notes and, and it's like clean the house and it's like, what? Like, you know, and like amidst all this stuff, this person is clamoring for freedom and yet like doesn't have the power, doesn't have the ability to like remove themselves from like all of this stuff. Like inside of them clamors like this desire to make things right and yet they are powerless to do so. So like what happens? You typically see the, the show, like, people just come in, tear the house apart, and give these people, like, a brand new, like, clean house, right? And this is what we do with our Christian lives, right? This is oftentimes what we're doing. We, we 
we hoard our good works and we try to gain God's affection by like, let me just do everything right. Let me follow all these rules. Let me check all the boxes. Yo, I even got like post-it notes on my mirror telling me what verses to like memorize. And yet like it is not enough. We still struggle with sin. We still fight with sin in our lives and it's difficult. See, the problem we are facing as Christians, the problem we're facing as people of God is that God is extremely holy. God is holy, he's righteous, he's true, he's good, he's spiritual, and we are the exact opposite of that, right? We're flesh, and we're in active rebellion towards God. And because God is holy, it is impossible for us to completely follow his law, and so we fail. And so actually today, I entitled my message, um, the law can't save us. It just can't. And so, you know, we hop in here and um, we're reading Romans 7. Uh, we read that, we heard the text. And, and what Paul is really doing here is he's, um, it's kind of just a continuation of 6 where we read last week, we learned last week that um, we should um, free ourselves from sin, right, from being slaves to sin. And, you know, the question comes up to Paul where he's like, they're like, hey, should I continue to sin if there's grace so grace may abound? And I would say no, right? Paul says no. You should free yourself from sin. Um, that's a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel, right? And chapter 7 is probably like not the, the most encouraging part of this book. Um, the way I like to think of it is it's like this black backdrop, right? Like when you, if you've ever gone to buy like jewelry um, or like, uh, you know, you go to the jeweler, and the jeweler sets up this black, like, velvet background and places, like, the beautiful, like, diamond and the beautiful, like, jeweler, uh, gem that you're looking, looking at and puts it on that, like, black backdrop, right? To show you, like, the beauty of, like, what you are hoping to buy or purchase, right? And that's what, like, seven is trying to do for us. It's trying to show us, like, this is who you are before, the, like, the truth of Jesus, before, like... The, the liberating um, of your sin in Jesus. And we look to chapter 8, and where, where Paul talks about how the Spirit of God, Jesus' work on the cross, has completed what we've been striving to do all our lives. Okay? And so we read in 7 here, uh, let's just kind of pick up in verse 1, and we'll read to 4 if you want to follow along. It says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law? That the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if, husband, if, the, if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, and if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might belong to another, to him who has raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit of God. My first point tonight is that we are justified by faith. Now, I love this picture that Paul's painting. He, he brings up marriage, and in the Jewish law, um, you were married to your husband, and the only way that um, you were ever free from that co like covenant, that contract contractual binding, was if your husband or your spouse passed away. And in any other case and circumstance, if you were in a relationship with somebody else, that would be considered adultery. 
And what Paul is describing here is that before, before we had the liberation of Jesus, before we had Jesus' work on the cross, before we had the gospel, we had the law. Okay? Now, we read in Exodus 20 um, that we get the Ten Commandments. God goes and gives the, the, the people of Israel the Ten Commandments. It says, hey, follow these laws. Be my people. Be set apart. Right? And then we see in the culmination of the whole Old Testament that there are about 613 commandments that these people have to follow. Right? God says, I want to be right with you. I want to make our relationship good. Right? Because of sin, we are separated from God. But in order for us to make this relationship right, I want you to dedicate yourself to this law. 613 commandments. Now, I'm willing to bet if you drove here, you probably went five over, right? How are we going to follow 613 commandments if we are, like, can't even follow the speed limit, right? And then we see in Mark chapter 13 that Jesus says, you know what? 613 commandments, that's a lot. Let's, let's condense it down to two, okay? Love your God with all your heart and love your neighbor. Spoiler alert. We can't keep those either. If you were wondering if we could keep those, we can't, right? So like our sinful nature, our rebellion towards God doesn't allow us to keep these laws. We can't keep them 100% of the time because we will fail 100% of the time. And so what Paul is saying, this old way of living, you were bound to that, right? You were bound to that old way of living. But the beauty of it is when we see in verse 4, it says, Likewise, my brothers, you have also have died to the law through the, whole, through the body of Christ, so you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit of God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit of death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we would serve in the new way, the spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. That this old way of doing things, the law that we had to keep, that we could not keep, the law that condemned us, is no longer applicable to us because we now have the gospel of Jesus, right? Jesus goes, he lives a perfect life, he completes the law, he dies on the cross, right? And we receive his righteousness, right? We receive, like, him, his, like, goodness is upon us. So when the Father looks at us, he does not see our failures. He sees the beauty of Jesus. He sees his son's finished work. That is called justification, Justification, I have a, I have a definition. Um, justification simply means God's unmerited favor by which God puts a sinner right with himself, not only pardoning and acquitting him or her, but accepting him or her and treating them as righteous. Christians, this is the thing that we need to be preaching to ourselves every day. This is the truth of the gospel that we no longer earn our way or earn God's affections. But it's been bestowed on us by the goodness of God. I don't have the power in of myself to declare myself righteous or to declare myself um, not guilty. I need, I need somebody else to declare that over me, right? And that's the beauty of justification is that it communicates the neediness of the receiving party that I need to be pardoned. My sins need to be pardoned because I've done wrong, I failed you, I deserve death, and we need God 
the good judge, to pardon our iniquities. And what do we have? We have Jesus standing in the place for us. I came across this Spurgeon quote, and I want to read it to you because it really spoke to me, really like kind of solidified this for me. It says, The grandest fact under heaven is this, that Christ by his precious blood does does actually put away sin, and that God, for Christ's sake, dealing with men on terms of divine mercy, forgives the guilty and justifies them, not according to anything that he has seen in them or foresees will be in them, but according to the riches of his mercy which lie in his own heart. That we have preached, do preach, and will preach as long as we live, it is God that justifieth, that justifieth the ungodly. He is not ashamed of doing it, nor are we of preaching it. See, the reality is that the law is not able to save us. It merely convicts us. And we see this given to us in Galatians chapter 3, where Paul is talking to the church of Galatia, and he says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. What Paul is saying is that the the law represents a relationship that is inevitably going to fail and lead to death. Now, I think some of us know, like, what Paul is talking about, right? Like, if, I think maybe um, you might have seen some of, two of your friends get, you know, in a relationship together, and you probably thought, man, no, I don't know if that's a good look. I don't know if that's going to work. You know, or quite recently, me and my wife are rewatching Friends, (laughs) and there's, like, that time in Friends when, like, Joey and Rachel get together, and you're like, why though? Like, I don't know if that's a, that's a good look. And I know some of you are like too young to like even remember that show, which makes me feel old, I guess. But uh, that's the gospel, right? The beauty of the gospel here is that we no longer have to follow these rules to gain God's affections. That we can migrate from this old way of doing things into the new rest that Jesus has, has given to us, as Hebrews talks about, right? Like, you no longer have to work, you no longer have to strive, you no longer have to till the ground. God, in his mercy, has given you his son. You can now rest. Rest in your justification. Rest in your right standing before God. Um, so I, I, uh, I'm a developer. I write code. And before I, I, I did that, um, I used to work at the Apple Store. Now, spoiler alert, no one at the Apple Store knows what they're doing. Um, I know from experience because I work there. So we can either just give you a new iPhone or not. It's really up to you. You're either going to pay for it or get it for free. It's like one of those two options, right? So, like, we don't know what we're doing. But, like, my job at Apple was simply to take, oftentimes, a lot of my job at Apple was to take people who were new to technology and just, like, chauffeur them, right, to, like, what new tech looks like, right? So I have folks come in who had never sent an email in their life. Like, legitimately, all you've done for the last 20 years is, like, post-it note, put it in the mail, right? Like, you've never hit the send button at all, right? Like, that's crazy to me. I would have folks come in with, like, Rolodexes. I'm like, what's a Rolodex? I'm like, that's a Rolodex. Like, 
That is definitely Rolodex, right? And you like have like numbers written in notebooks. I'm like, I can't even remember the last time I had to like memorize a phone number. Can you like probably not? Like when I was in like sixth grade, we memorized everybody's phone number, but the last phone number I had to memorize was my wife's. Like, who else am I gonna call, right? That's like that's it. And it's like that's all we had to do. And so you take these people who are like Rolodexing their lives away, using net zero as their internet provider, like dial-up internet, like what year is it? Like, and you would chauffeur them to like this new way of like technology. Yeah, your contacts are all in one place. Yeah, you don't have to put a stamp on it. You know, like you can literally hit send. And it was amazing for them to like see like, wow, it's like that instantaneous, it's that quick. It's like, yes. And we can appreciate what the old way has done for us, but we look forward to like what's new and how that makes our lives so much easier, right? And that's how we should look at the gospel. We should look at the law as like, that was really hard, that's really difficult, and I'm grateful that I no longer have to do that. I'm no longer bound by this law. It no longer defines my relationship with God, my standing before God. Which leads me to my next point, that the law produces death. The law produces death in our life. So the logical question you might be asking yourself is, well, yo, if the law like, is obsolete, um, should I use it? Should I care about it? Does it apply to my life? Why should I care? Why does it matter? And the, the, the answer to that, in short, is yes, you should care. We should still seek to follow it. We should still seek to do what's right. We see here in verse 7, it says, What shall we say then, the law, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandments, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Yo, this is crazy, right? So like Paul is like, hey, we need to follow the law because the law tells us what we're doing is wrong, right? I wouldn't have known that coveting is bad if it had not told me that, right? I wouldn't have known the speed limit was 65 unless I looked at the sign. But like what's crazy about the sinful nature inside of us, right? Like sin is not some act that we do. It's a part of who we are. We actually have a sinful nature inside of us to do wrong and to rebel against God, right? That nature, when hearing like, this is what you should do. This is what's right. Automatically wants to do what's wrong, right? Paul says, hey, all of a sudden I was told not to covet, and now I just want to covet. I, uh, in my early 20s, I thought it would be a good idea to try to become a pescatarian. So that's like, that means you're a vegetarian, but you can eat fish. I mean, some of you have just been on this kick for a long time. I lasted like six months, and I was like, wow, like six months, that's a good amount of time. But immediately, like, the, it's week one, and I don't even really eat breakfast, and all of a sudden I'm like, I need bacon. <laughs> I don't know why, I just know that I can't eat it, but I want it now. And it wasn't like those desires were not there, right? But the fact that someone says, hey, you can't have this. All of a sudden, my sinful heart's like, I want to do the opposite. Right? It's not that the, these desires to do wrong were not there. The law is just like, look, here they are now. And it reveals to us like, how horrible we are. So we just got a dog, right? Um, his name's Leon. If you're having a bad day, feel free to come by the DeAndre's pad and hang out with him. He's great. But man, he's a little sinner. Like, and I'm like, Leon, like, I thought we had a good thing going here, man. Like, I tell you not to do this, you nod your head, and like, it's Gucci, it's good, right? And, 
And he knows, like, he's, he knows he's not supposed to dig. And so I put him outside, like, probably like three weeks ago, and I'm watching him. And I know he's looking for me. And he's like, that guy's not here. The human's not here. <laughs> and he looks up, doesn't see me, beelines for the, part, like the side of the garage and just starts digging. Just open the door, Leon! And like immediately, like, I'm sorry. Like he... Dogs are supposed to be innocent, but we're all, under the, we're all under the same thing, right? The law says, hey, this is wrong. I want to do it now. I want to do the exact opposite, right? That's our sinful nature. We can't keep the law because even though it, God says this is instructions that are good, these are good things you should do, my heart doesn't want to do them. Despise it. And we all fall under this. No one is, like, safe, right? You've done this. We've all done this. You want bacon? <laughs> you want to go five over? Like, it's all happening. This is, <laughs> this is our flesh. Galatians 3 says this, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus we are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, this is really interesting, right? Paul is saying before we had the liberation of the gospel, we had the law to keep us in check, right? There's this really interesting word here called tutor. Now, if you look at that word in the Greek, it simply is a picture of this. Um, back in those times, they would have these um, like slaves that would watch kids and watch them and take them to school and make sure those kids were doing the right thing, right? They were being stand-up citizens. They weren't disobeying. They were following the rules. Now, what's interesting is when you look at history and you look at, like, this person, they're mainly just a disciplinarian. And so oftentimes in pictures, you'd have, like, them holding some sort of whip or some sort of disciplinary tool, right? And that is the law for us, that it is telling us that we're doing something wrong, disciplines us, makes us feel bad, but provides no framework, no ability for us to change our ways. That is the difficulty of the law, right? It's a mirror that shows us you are doing this wrong. And that's why Paul says here, the very commandments that promise life to me, promise to give me life, prove to be death instead. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandments deceived me and through it killed me. The law is holy and the commandments is holy and righteous and good. See, that's the problem. God is holy. We are not. And we fail and we're in constant rebellion towards God. Um, so I got the new, it's not really new anymore, but I got the iPhone 10. And I thought it was really interesting because I, I got some tweets up here that I want to show you. Um, when people first got the iPhone 10, they were like, yo, this camera's really good. And they'd open up the selfie camera and be like horrified by like how like high quality the image is. And here's like this one, like me using the iPhone 10 camera for the first time. Uh, the next one's like, but seriously, the camera on the iPhone 10 makes me 100 times more ugly um, so, I mean, there have been times when I've, like, opened my iPhone, I'm like, that is not a good look, that's not a good angle, um, and it's, it, all it does is show you, like, hey, you're messed up, right? It doesn't, like, hand me a towel and some soap and be like, go shower, go get a haircut. It just simply shows me how I look, right? And it's displeasing to myself, um, and I'm like, man, this is bad, 
right? And like that is like what the law is doing. All it says is like, you're messed up, man. You're sinful. And you can't follow these rules. Like you should be separated from God. Here's, here is discipline. Here's failure, right? And so what does that produce in us? That produces a longing, a desire for somebody to save us, for somebody to, to pull us out of this like oppression, this hold. I want to read this for you in Ephesians 2. I feel like this really culminates like what Paul is talking about here. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us. Even though we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Yo, man, some of you need to hear that tonight. You've been living your life trying to gain God's affections, trying to be moral, trying to be good, and you're failing, and you sin, and you fail, and you fail, and you think, this is how God views me. That's not true. I want to tell you tonight, if you're struggling with that, like, God loves you, that you are under the umbrella of grace, that you are under his care, that he's not surprised when you fail. He's not like, oh, I'm surprised by that. He's like, I paid for that. You can rest. You can rest in that God being rich in mercy has made you alive, has awakened you to himself. I've never seen a dead person resuscitate themselves, but God comes and awakens us to the beauty of who he is that we might live and have life. That's what we need. That's what I'm praying for for you. Which brings us to my last point tonight. That we need a savior. And I love like what Paul says here because this is kind of the like the the climax, the the like crux of the text, right? Where where he's like been building up, he's just been saying, Hey, like we we sin, we fail, I want to keep sinning, I continue to keep sinning, I'm I'm told what to do what's right, and I do the exact opposite. And Paul very like humanly just admits that struggle. And I want to read this text to you. I feel like we need to read it again, but I, I want to read it in the NLT because I feel like it really helped me understand what Paul was saying. So if, you, if you're here tonight and you're like struggling with that, right? You're here, you barely made it in the door, and you're just like, why am I here? I'm struggling. Life is difficult for me right now, and I'm struggling with the realities of sin in my life, and I want to do what's right, and I can't. I feel like you, this is for you, right? And if you need to like open up your hands to just receive that tonight, like I, you should do that. You should receive that. You should just like put out your hands and be like, God, this is a position of my heart right now. I need to hear this. He says this to us. So the trouble is not with the law in verse 14, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good, for I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. 
I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered the principle of life. When I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thanks, God. I answer, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you, see, uh, so you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law. but Because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. If we're real and honest with ourselves, we've done this. We've said this. I'm not going to do that, right? And yet you do it again. I'm never going to say those words, and you say them. I'm never going to look at that again, and you look at it. I'm never going to hurt you like that, and yet I hurt you like that. You know what you should be doing is right, but we don't have the power in and of ourselves to do it. I know I want to be a good husband. I know I want to love Dana as best as I can, and I want to support her and make her feel loved, and then we get into an argument, and all of a sudden, I'm saying stuff that shouldn't be said, and I know exactly what to say to get a rise out of her. I can't do it on my own. All of us can agree with that. We try, and we try, and we fail. Sin, this battle of sin between us and the law is always going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Can I just be real with you for a second? This week in the DeAndres household has been, I wouldn't say week, I think month, last couple months have just been really, man, really difficult for us. Um, there's been a slew of things, family stuff, but the cherry on top was this last week uh, when my job told me, we're only going to pay you for four more weeks and that's it. And I just, I mean, it's so hard for me to like not be angry. It's so hard for me not to fret and to be nervous, right? Because when you're like, you're young and you're single, you're like, oh, whatever, it's going to be fine. But now you have like bills and you have a dog, right? And you're like, man, like, this is nuts, how did I get here? And it's hard for me to trust God. It's hard for me to, to believe that he's going to take care of us. And I fight and I lash out and, and I hurt my wife. I hurt the people around me. And my distrust, I am unable to believe that God is good at times. And what I need to be reminded of in those moments that are difficult, where I am feeling and I am falling and I need, some, I need somebody to deliver me from this body of sin and death. And instead of looking at myself for the answer, I defer to the righteousness of God. There's nothing good in me. I can't save myself, but Jesus can. In Galatians 5.16, Paul says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh again are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. 
what Paul is setting up here is this longing, this desire for someone to save us, like I've said over and over again. We see, if we get a sneak peek of this, when we look forward uh, to next week, as PT is going to kind of open up this text and just like go through it, that our longings and desires to do what's right is not going to be found in ourselves, but it's going to be found in the complete work of Jesus. And he says this in eight, chapter 8, verse 2. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That we long and look, place our gaze at Jesus, right? Because Jesus, he's forgiven us, God has forgiven us, and that is like what we rest on. That's what we press into. You can close your Bibles. You know, I read what Paul says here, and it really, really speaks to me when he says this, um, let me go find it. <laughs> when he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Are you literally at the end of your rope? Like, how can I do this? I can't do this. And he says, thanks, God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, when I read that section, makes me think of my mom. So my, my parents immigrated over from the Philippines. I'm an immigrant kid. Um, I grew up pretty much like in like a state-funded housing, so like pretty much like a project in San Diego. Uh, my dad was a janitor. And, you know, it was really hard for him to find work, so what does he do? The only opportunities given to him is go sell drugs. So my dad goes and sells meth. My mom starts using meth. Um, and it's like tearing my family apart, right? Um, I, I'd watched enough Family Matters in my life to know that like this is not what a family should look like, right? That there shouldn't be this much fighting. There shouldn't be this much like death, right? I remember like one time I woke up and I'm just hearing plates smashing and yelling and I walk outside and my parents are fighting. They're like stopped. I like, go back into the room and I just went and I hid. And we were like really broke, and so um, there wasn't a lot of food. And so my mom would actually go to this Filipino Bible study. Filipinos like to eat, thanks be to God. But uh, she would go, and she would literally go for the food. And she would hear the gospel preached. And my mom had tried, and she had tried to make herself right. And every time she tried, fall back in, fall back in, fall back into sin. And through her hearing the truth of the gospel, the liberation of sin and death, she got saved. And I remember my dad looking at my mom and being like, I'm not going to go to church until I see a change in your life. This is not legit until it's legit. And she kept changing. And it was never a work of herself, right? And like she stopped using, she stopped partying, she stopped doing all this stuff. And all of a sudden my dad, who was like a womanizer, who was like this, this guy who was just checked out, all of a sudden was like, there's something real here. 
And that changed like the trajectory of my life. And that's what I desire to see like in our community here at the summit, right? It's like when people struggle with sin, we aren't like, you deserve that. But instead, we would point them lovingly to the, 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 the wellspring of life that is found in Jesus. And he says, I'm not surprised by your sin. I'm not surprised by your failure. I've, in fact, I've paid for those things. That you are struggling with those things. Stop struggling with them and allow me to pick up the weight and to carry that for you. That we would stop striving and we would trust and press into the rest that is in Jesus. And if you're here tonight and you're like, I don't even know why I'm here, like, there is life in Jesus. There is life for you. You pray with me. God, this is what we need to hear. This is what we need to hear from you is that you love us regardless of our sin, regardless of our thoughts, regardless of our rebellion towards you, you love us and you desire to give us yourself. And I pray for those tonight, God, who are here. They barely made it in. They're tired. They're weary. They've been wrestling with sin. They've been wrestling with anger. They've been wrestling with fear, anxiety, difficulty. God, that you would give them the rest that they need. That by your spirit, God, even, even for these people right now who need to hear that, God, they would, rate, they would put out their hands to receive what you have to give them rest affirmation, peace. God, that those things for the person struggling tonight would feel that right now, right now, right now. And that you would do a work that your spirit can only do in our hearts. Lord, I pray for that person who just walked through the door, doesn't even know why they're here. God, that you would even be close to them. That they would feel your presence. They would feel the love that you have for them, God. And that love, your loving kindness would woo them to yourself, God. Do, Spirit, do the work that you can only do. We need you to rock our hearts and rock our lives. Because all we want to do is stir up death. All we want to do is stir up rebellion. And we don't know how to stop unless it comes from you. And God, that's what we need tonight. So be with us, speak to us. May we worship you for who you are. May we give you all the praise, all the accolades, everything you deserve tonight, God, because we want to worship you because you've liberated us, you've freed us, and that reality is so true. We love you, Jesus. We need you. Can't do this without you. We don't want to do this without you. Thank you for your peace. In your name, amen.